Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. I never thought this this question, how would one lose a tortoise? It's a good question. I mean, how did they not think that was going to get over? We love watching the fat man dance. Oh my fucking god, he's Kamehameha waving the bats. He's not doing a good job with pulling the pictures at the right time. Well, you're an idiot, dude. Shut the fuck up. Well then, in one, two, three. Hello, greetings, salutations, guten tag, or however else you say hello, and welcome to VFTR 2.0. I am Chad, coming to you from my living room, and I am joined by the co-host with the mostest, my good buddy, the man we call Big Baby Daddy Diesel. Hello, Dadalak. As always, I'm joining you from Diesel's Dapper Dungeon of Delight, and... I think we should start off the show by talking about how delightful it was to be in the world-famous La Pica Lounge number three again on Sunday because I had a blast being there, and it was really – it was a trip, and, like, I didn't realize how much fun I had until I actually got home because I was, like – I was living in the moment when we were there. Oh, yeah. Uh, this isn't even Top Rope Talks. This is just a, this is a bonus segment for you all. ICW Milwaukee came back to the world-famous La Pica Lounge number three that we dubbed world-famous and made world-famous by having people from other countries actually hear about it because that was us first. We called it. It's our shit. But whatever. Yes. Such a great time. It felt like such a blast from the past. Like, I'm not usually the big nostalgia guy. You know, I... I like nostalgic things in some ways, but a lot of ways I've always looked down on nostalgia. This was just perfect. This was chef's kiss. I felt like nothing had changed. The damn light on the wall was still broken. It made me happy. And I mean, the Orin Vite Who's House chant, both of them, when Orin started it, and then when we started the second one, like that place, it's just, oh. It's it's one of those like meccas of pro wrestling. And I know it's a tiny little hole in the wall bar that most people will never see or ever go to or ever give a fuck about, but I don't care. It is a mecca of pro wrestling and the shit that went on in that building will never be replicated. And some of it's crazier than the, anything you'll ever fucking see. Yeah, it was it was a nutty show. There were a lot of good matches. Um I mean, the main event was like classic ICW Milwaukee and the thing about it was they only had six light tubes that's all they had and they had one hell of a death match that turned into a wrestling match that ended as a death match it was great and I asked Tom after the show was over about uh because he was about to start the who's house chant like Tom was like literally like he had the gun cocked and ready to go. And all of a sudden, Orin just shouted, Who's house? And everybody in the crowd, like, it sounded like there was 10,000 people there when there was maybe 70. And, like, uh, so loud. And I asked Tom after the show, like, like how did that feel that, like, because Tom's the one who got that chant over. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, he said that it melted his black heart when it happened. And it's like, 
yeah, it was awesome. Like that was that match was amazing, and like obviously Orin lost, and like you always go out on your back, and like I mean he'll be back, but like he's not like there every month like he used to be. So give it like pass the torch to Eric Dillinger, which. It's bittersweet because I like Eric Dillinger, but like as we talked over chat, like Oren is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Like there's something about this dude, and like seeing him wrestle in the Pika is like I don't even know. Like seeing Babe Ruth play in Yankee Stadium, like seriously. Like Lapika is the house that Oren built. And then to have the Hall of Fame ceremony beforehand and like the nice things he said about Marcus Crane. And we even had the discussion on the way about uh his death matches. I guess I didn't realize his first death match was against Marcus Crane and we were there for it. And then, oh yeah. Then then all of a sudden he became crazy into death matches and yeah. Dude, I remember seeing the photo posted online because and you haven't seen it on his Instagram of just his back being destroyed by Marcus Crane or invites that is. And it was just bloody as hell and I remember sitting at ringside going, "Holy fuck, that is a lot of blood." And I I remember we saw the whole like formation of or invite the wizard king like we saw him as basically kind of a young boy in icw milwaukee where he was just like starting out and like trying to get his feet wet to his first death match with marcus crane to the absolute explosion of the wizard king like or invite yeah i you said top 20 i said he could be in my top 10 to top five i don't know it's one of those things where seeing him in person it just hits different and when Or Invites music hits, which to this day, I still never looked up what song it is because I don't want to yeah. ruin it. I don't want to right. listen to it on my own. I only right. want to hear it when Or Invite comes out. That's all that song is for in my mind. And it is perfect. And I get chills every time. And I don't know. Yeah, Or Invite's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And ICW Milwaukee is one of my favorite places of all time. And the world famous La Pica Lounge. Just, you can see a wrestling show there, folks. And I don't know if you're going to be able to anymore. This could have been the last one ever. I hope not. But if you ever get a shot, do it. It's fucking amazing. And the crowd is wild. And it's a tiny little hole in the wall with paradise painted on the walls and a broken light and cheap beer. And I love it. And I was so glad to be back. Yep. I'm not, I didn't take it for granted either. Nope. Until I, next time, Lapika. I enjoyed every fucking second of it and i took it all in but yeah till next time la pica lounge number three hopefully we'll be back all right well that wasn't anything that was a little bonus segment coverage of our weekend so let's get into the actual show and head right into hashtag trt otherwise known as top rope topics and this week uh, for the past month, we have been covering New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax 32. So, you know, we can't not cover it, the final, which happened the day after recording last week. So, yeah, it's a little in the past, but it's kind of going to be our G1 32 wrap-up. So, first of all, though, we go to the finals, which was, of course, Will Ospreay taking on Kazuchita Okada. And this was for all the marbles. So, Diesel, I know you watched this match a while ago, but anything that you remember at all about it? I mean, spot's not 100%, but I remember, like, the overall feel of the match, how 
Like it almost felt like Okada was the heel in this match, and like well, Osprey was the underdog. I mean, he was the underdog because it's Okada. He's already the three-time G1 champion. He's like the best wrestler of all time. But at the same time, like they were evenly matched. But Okada felt like he had to play a little dirty to like keep the upper hand at times against Will Ospreay. I mean, this match was really good. And I mean, obviously, with it being the finals, it was the best match of the entire G1. But uh, do you got any of the spots? Did you write notes? Because I did not write notes. All right, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Diesel. That whole part just cut out right there. I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. My internet's fine. Yeah. Weird. All right, can you can you talk so I can see if I can hear you now? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. So you didn't hear anything that I said? The last thing I heard was uh, Will Ospreay was the underdog because he's facing Okada. I don't remember what I said after that. (laughs) All right, there you go. This definitely, like, was the best match on the card, I mean, for sure, but uh, it just felt like every time that Okada had the upper hand. He had to play dirty to like keep it. Like it just like it wasn't like he was cheating like like majorly, but like it was like not like hundred percent face Okada. And I kind of liked the dynamic um, that they had and the storytelling. And of course, like Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton on commentary and like obviously they made it better. They. Like, Kevin Kelly is super into it, makes you super into it. And that's one of the reasons I didn't want to take notes is because I just wanted to just sit and watch. And, like, I probably should have rewatched so I could have taken notes, but I don't operate that way. So uh, did you take notes? Do you got, like, spots? And I, I did not. I did not take notes on the final because I didn't. I also just wanted to sit and enjoy it. And, even, and I watched it. I actually saved the G1 finals until this morning before time of recording so that I would have it fresh in my mind. So this whole time, I have known that Okada was going to win the G1 here. And I won't lie, I'll get into it in a minute. But so I went into this match kind of already annoyed in a like in a semblance of a way. I really wanted Will Ospreay to win this match. Like it was uh, that is what I thought G- they should do. And so I went into this match. I mean, that's what you picked. This I, is I your did. final you had Will Ospreay winning. I did have Will Ospreay winning, and it wasn't just because that's what I picked that I wanted that to happen. But went into this match just kind of annoyed. And throughout this whole match, I do think that they did do a good job of portraying Okada as this final boss of, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it really did feel like Will Ospreay threw everything he could at Okada and he still couldn't keep him down even busting out old bullet club moves from AJ Styles since he beat Okada breaking out the high fly flow from Tanahashi because he's Everybody beat Okada beating Okada yeah, yeah he pulled out all of the finishers that I like that 
Yeah, that was awesome. That's what made Will Osprey feel like the baby face in this match because he felt like the guy that like I don't know pulled don't out know. the V trigger from Kenny Omega, which he hit beautifully, which is just well, a Osprey step had up. Nothing knee, to lose, basically, you know, like he had only everything to gain. And like he he did everything that he could to try to win this match, and that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, I did love the fact that they put over how much damage had been done to o, to Osprey in. I hate that both their names start with an O. For some reason I always want to say the other one's name when I'm trying to talk about the other one, but I love the fact that they put over how much damage had been done to Osprey during this G1. His back was all taped up with kinesium tape. And every time that Okada hit any sort of move to that back, Osprey went down. My, I thought this match was good. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was the best match on this card for sure. I did watch the entire uh, final night of G1 action. The only other match that I think stood a chance of being the best match on the card. And that's just because of the storyline they're telling. And I didn't know I'd be so into it. But this ELP Shingo feud that's now building. Like, they had a great little contest earlier on the show where Shingo tagged with uh, the Time Bomb. And I just loved it. And so that was probably the second best match on the card. This match was great. I don't know if it was better than anything they've done before. And that's including their, like, 15-minute match, like, way back when, when Will Ospreay was still kind of a young boy in New Japan and was just kind of, you know, getting his feet wet. And Okada, you know, wiped the floor with him in a lot of ways. This match, to me, I enjoyed it, but I also felt that it's emblematic of the problem that I feel like New Japan Pro Wrestling has now. I what's what's the problem like explain go in more detail with that New Japan at this point and I don't know if it's they need a new booker or what New Japan once again has always had great in-ring action the in-ring action is basically second to none I don't know if you can go to another wrestling company anywhere in the world and get better in-ring quality from match to match to show to show all that good stuff But the problem with New Japan now is, as Diesel and I brought up many times during these reviews, it's so formulaic. There's nothing new in New Japan anymore. Like, the Kenny Omega kind of huge year-long, like, battles with, to beat uh, Kazuchi Okada. That was something different. And then it happened. And then he did he ascended the mountain and a lot of people had problems with his run as the IWGP heavyweight champion, but it doesn't matter. They gave it to him. They gave it to a man like AJ styles back in the day. They gave it to these Gajin wrestlers and did something different with Kazucho Okada. At this point, this is his fourth G one win. This is his second G one win in three years. No, no, he last he won last year. This is back to back. He went back to back jacks, folks. Like, I don't need to see Kazuchika Okada in the freaking Wrestle Kingdom main event again. And don't get me wrong, I've talked about it a billion times. I love Kazuchika Okada. I think he's the best wrestler on the planet. But if this was any other company, we would be lambasting Gato and New Japan Pro Wrestling for shoving Okada down our throats each and every time. So I have a few comments from uh, what you just said. Number one is 
Like Okada, like I know I always compare him to Tom Brady, but like this reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. If you think about like Aaron Rodgers MVP, he won one, then won another a couple years later, then win a long time without winning one, then won back to back. It's like almost like Gato is a Packers fan and he saw what Aaron Rodgers was doing. And those were the years that <laughs> Okada wins the G1. Um, I will also backtrack to them needing a new booker. I think that yeah, Gato is a little stale because it is like, yeah, exactly. Like formulas, like Naito's formula for every G1 is exactly the same. He loses at the beginning ends up going to like the finals or just short of the finals. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I love Naito. He's a great wrestler. I just have a problem with the story they're telling. Like it worked once it worked twice, but when you keep on doing it over and over and over, it's like, well, why don't you use him to get somebody else over that could use the rub, you know, cause he doesn't need to win the G1. And if he did win the G1, and it was a good story, and it wasn't this come-from-behind kind of thing. If he dominated all the way through, I wouldn't have a problem with that if Naito won at all. Like, I don't know. So they do almost need, like, I think they do need, like, a restart. Like, they need to hit the just reset button. And I feel like they were that's what they were kind of going for with the G1 format, but it didn't didn't correct the decision-making when it came to the booking. And I feel like they had the perfect opportunity to do something they've never done before and something fresh and something interesting. And that was to have that seven-way tie in the D block. How cool with them? Well, Osprey still could have won the D block. They could have had like a battle Royal. They could have had gauntlet match they could have had like something like really fucking cool they could have had a mini tournament like to see who went i don't know i just wanted to know what they were gonna do they had an opportunity to do something cool so like everything you say i agree with and yeah but before we like talk more about the um g1 as a whole what is your rating for the final uh my final for this uh, final match, I gave it 4.25 stars. Really? Yeah. Why? Is it because you were annoyed when they, because you know the winner? Was it because I think they they've done better? I, other matches? Yes, I don't think it lived up to their other matches, which I think basically, I think every one of their other matches is a five star classic. Their other contrast, contests have felt and, you know, maybe I was just, once again, in the wrong mindset. Maybe on a rewatch at a later time as I've let this sink in, maybe I will say a five-star match. But 4.25, it wasn't my favorite match of the tournament, I don't think. I still will say that my favorite match is a different match. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I I expected more. And once again, if the finish would have been Will Ospreay going over instead of, like, and the finish felt so rushed to me because Osprey was kind of wailing on Okada all of this time. And then suddenly just Okada hits that Cobra flosion into the Rainmaker and Osprey's done. Cause Uchi Okada kicked out of 17 different finishers in this match, but Osprey can only kick out of one Rainmaker. I mean, I get it. We're protecting the Rainmaker, but to this extent, like 
Osprey's supposed to be at this point your 1B guy. He just was in the finals of the G1, holds the IWGP US Championship, and yet two Rainmakers is all it takes to put him down. I know he was hurt, but I just I didn't like the finish. So I'm gonna analyze what I just heard from you and answer my question that I asked you for you. I feel like you're annoyed. <laughs> like I feel like that played a part into your rating of this match. Um I had some of the same annoyances as you had, but like at the time I thought to myself, like try to take that away and just like focus on what happened in the match. And I agree that they had their match at Wrestle Kingdom was better than this match, but I still feel like in my rating scale, this like lived up to a five star match. And like I said, I don't go higher. I don't break it like Dave Meltzer. Like, five-star matches a five-star match. There are better five-star matches than other five-star matches. I just felt like, especially grading against everything else in this tournament, I feel like it was a five-star match. But that being said, I agree with you about the Okada thing, about how it felt rushed and how, like, I was expecting Will Ospreay to kick out of that Rainmaker because the whole time they were talking about how the longest – G1 final was like 34 minutes and something and we just reached the 30 minute mark and I think this one went like 33 minutes and something so it wasn't even the longest G1 in the history of the final or whatever so like that annoyed me too because I thought that's what they were going for they were gonna like have the longest G1 final and I thought they were easily gonna go into 40 minutes and then yeah it just felt like bam Rainmaker over and it was like that was an odd decision but I don't know. Like, I didn't know who was going to win either before I watched it. And my gut was telling me it's definitely going to be Okada. But my heart and my head was like, it's got to be Osprey. Like, that's who I was pulling for. And so when uh, Okada won, like, I knew it because my gut's usually right. And I just never follow it. But. Yeah, I still think it was a five-star match. Uh, Yes, the match went 33 minutes and 53 seconds. And I also agree with you completely that I thought that's what they were going for was going to be the longest G1 contest. It felt like that's what the commentary was trying to put over. And then the finish just, yeah, I don't know. You're right. Maybe I was a little too annoyed, but I still don't know if I would even give this a five-star match because I don't like the finish. I feel like 4.75 is probably the highest I would go. Fair enough. Like, I mean, everybody has their own way of rankings and like is like just comparing it to every other match in this tournament, I felt it was a five star match. That's fair. That's fair. Uh final thoughts on Okada real quick. Just because and some people aren't gonna like that I make this comparison, but it's really all I can feel that and it really does, if you really think about it and you peel it back, Okada's John Cena when we all hated John Cena. Like, this is John Cena beating uh, a CM Punk, a Brock Lesnar, uh, anybody on who was... Randy Orton, an edge, anyone during that run where everyone's like, it's time, give the crown to the next guy for a little while. And what they do? Do, 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 John Cena wins. Instead, it's do, 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 Okada wins. Like, it's getting to the point that, and I swear... He's going to go over at Wrestle Kingdom and beat Jay White. 
And then all this fucking work we've done for Jay White all this year's for not. Yeah, I mean, like Gato is the biggest mark for Okada, obviously. He used to be his manager and everything like that. And even though he switched over to Bullet Club and he's with Jay White now, it's it's he's like exactly he's like Vince McMahon was with John Cena or with Roman Reigns. Like th- that's his guy, and he's the guy who's going to get over it. I don't understand why in wrestling there can't be more than one guy that, like, is at the top. Like, it seems like they have to have the guy at the top of the mountain, and they can only have one. And and it's not just with New Japan. It's not just with WWE. It's with everybody. And I don't know. I just – I think that needs to change. And maybe – we can we'll be discussing that later, I feel. Yeah. In our next topic when we're done discussing the G1, but we're not done yet. We are definitely not done yet, because this is our wrap-up of the G1. So at this point, I feel our next, you know, let's talk about some more happier things. Cause I am a little annoyed at the second, as Diesel pointed out. So let's talk about our favorite match of the G1. Diesel, as you said, this was your the final was your favorite match. Any other final I didn't thoughts say on it what? was my favorite match? Oh, sorry, it was my highest rated match. My That's favorite fair. match was still the Osprey Yoshihashi match because I don't know that match. The Yoshihashi just like never saying die, and how many times did he kick out of everything? And like that was another match where Osprey had to like pull out everything to win. So yeah, that's my favorite match of the whole tournament. I think that my favorite match of the tournament is actually, and I'm going to cheat kind of, because I'm going to go with two uh, because they're, they're my favorite matches for two kind of separate reasons. My favorite like wrestled match of the entire tournament was the Will Ospreay Naito match. I absolutely love that match. I think it was better than the finals. Honestly, it told, I think a better story in a lot of ways. And I don't know. I thought it was way more up in the air for where the decision went. And I don't know. I like that match better. So that was my favorite wrestled match of the whole tournament. My favorite actual match, though, and this is the most surprising thing to me because really I sat down after I finished the finals uh, this morning at around five in the morning. And I really thought about it. And I was like, what match like stuck with me? And what match am I still thinking about? And the match that I'm still thinking about and so has to be my favorite, especially storyline wise, was Rockhard. Juice Robinson against David Finley. And I loved that match. It had the most intensity in it besides the Jay White Tomatonga match, which was also up there in consideration for being my favorite match of the tournament. But I don't know. The Juice and David Finley match had a different, another level of intensity to it. And then the really the shock win of David Finley over Juice Robinson, I think is what really does it. I knew Tomatonga was beating Jay White. I just had this feeling in my bones. So I wasn't like shocked by it. I was just waiting to see how it was going to happen. So Juice oh, is that first, your shock of the tournament then too? I think so. I think that has to be my shock of the tournament was David Finley. I can give it to David Finley twice, actually, because David Finley beating Rock Hard and then beating Will Ospreay in his next match. I thought the Juice Robinson, that was shocking because I was like, okay. But then afterwards, the shock like went away and I was like, well, that makes sense. They were former tag partners. That makes sense. Give the good guy a win here. Everyone hates Juice Robinson. 
him beating Will Ospreay blew me the fuck away. Like, in no universe did I think that David Finley, who calls his finisher the Trash Panda, was going to beat William Billy Goat Osprey in any dimension. So I think David Finley, two-time surprise of the tournament. Those are both good ones. Um, I don't know if this would be my like surprise of the tournament, but Jonah beating Okada and then getting back into like the running to like win the block, like that was really impressive. Like I really like what they did with the A block as a whole. Like I feel like like labeling it the monsters block and everything like that was pretty cool. But at the same time, you had guys like Tom Lawler and Jeff Cobb who would be really cool if they would win the block, but obviously you knew the whole time Okada was gonna win the block. So to see both of them like even at six points and to see uh Bad Luck Fall A get a couple wins. <sighs> And Lance Archer going to the final night, and if he beats Okada, he wins the block. Like that was a really well, like developed block. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that was my favorite block. I think that my favorite block was D block, just because of all the chaos theory and everything like that. And um, I don't know. It's and as for like the four block system. I kind of looked at it like a football season or something like that. Sports, there's like four divisions, and the winner of each division goes to the playoff and plays each other in the semifinals and goes to like the championship. I really like actually seeing it all the way play out. I like this format. I do like this format. I just hope that we still get the same, the old format for the best of the Super Juniors because I don't want to see that go away. But uh, for a round robin, I do like the four block format, and I hope that we see it again. And originally at the beginning of the tournament, I was saying like they should have done like 32, but don't do 32 because this was a really long fucking tournament that adds more matches. Keep it at 28. 28 is fine. I'm good with that. Yeah, no, I we both joked about it doing 32 people. 32 people is too many. <laughs> It would be way too many people, and we would be doing this tournament for two months. But the four-block system, I think, is a real winner. I don't know why so many people were down on it. Maybe because they didn't use the, like, tie system that they talked about so much on commentary. So we were all very excited for a tie, and then we didn't get a single tie in any of the blocks, which I thought was kind of weird. Yeah, I was really hoping for a tie, and then it came down to a couple that could have tied, but... But D-Block, Chaos Theory, like, that was, like, every time there was a D-Block match, I think I was the most invested in that because, like, I wanted that seven-way tie. Like, I wanted it. I wanted to see what they would do. And fucking Juice, like... Had to ruin it. Couldn't couldn't fucking beat Will Ospreay. It hurt Will Ospreay. Couldn't fucking do it and just do the good deed for us all. Of course not, Juice. Even though... Like, Will Ospreay won the block. I still appreciated that uh, ELP did his job and got his win to get to six points. Yeah, and they're starting a feud with him and Shingo where it's just all about ELP saying, I'm your daddy, Shingo, and Shingo don't like that one bit, and it's great. I love ELP. I love ELP as well. 
Uh, I think that does uh, lead us to another good question about the G1 then. So, Diesel, who was your most surprising competitor of the G1? I mean, obviously, it's, it's Yoshihashi. And, like, if you would have asked me, we next year we should do this again, cover it, but we should ask ourselves these questions before the tournament and go back and see. Because if you would have asked me at the beginning of the tournament, I would not have picked Yoshihashi for being the most surprising wrestler in this tournament. But, like, like it's narrowed down to three people, I think. And I think it goes Yoshihashi, Goto, and then Tai Chi. Uh, like I really liked Yoshihashi and Goto's stories. You know, Goto was trying to win the G1 after not don't doing it over a decade. And Yoshihashi's like has the worst record in the G1 in its history. And like him being close to actually winning the block, I thought was just it was really cool. So like and like he it was in my favorite match. He impressed me in a lot of matches. I used to find him boring, but I didn't find him very boring in this G1 at all. Yeah, I think Yoshiashi is probably the correct answer because he was so damn impressive and we have talked so much shit about Yoshiashi on this podcast over the years. I mean, deservedly so at a lot of points. He was the worst record in the G1 and lots of his G1 matches were always throwaway matches. Like, if you had Yoshihashi that night, that was your, oh, I get a five-minute match and I get to go home. So, don't get me wrong. The jokes were deserved. But damn, if he isn't a different wrestler now, I love how much they put over his chops now. It's it's just great. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick somebody else, I do think I was really impressed with Jonah. I I yeah. didn't I'd seen Jonah a lot in NXT, so I knew what to expect with Jonah. He's different, like He's totally different. Jonah and uh, Bronson Reed. They're two totally different wrestlers. Like, it's kind of like, I don't know, like Neville and Pack. Even though Neville went heel in WWE, like, that was still Pack, in my opinion. So, like, Neville and Pack, it's just two different guys. It's, it's crazy that they're the same wrestler. And I feel that way with Jonah as well. Yes, I loved his just. He was kind of like a fun-loving dude, it seemed, at NXT, though they didn't really give that off. But in New Japan, he's a monster. He's the top gaijin. Top dog. Top dog, top gaijin heel. Gaijin, uh, what is the word for, I can't think of what they call Godzilla right now. It'll come to me later when I'm thinking about it. Uh, no, it's kaiju. It kaiju. Gaijin yeah. kaiju. There we go. God, I can't believe I couldn't think of that right away. And his matches, every one of them... I love that he didn't get pinned. I thought that his second count out was real trashy and he clearly could have got back in the ring, but that's neither here nor there. I like that he didn't get pinned. They put him over and him beating Okada, just awesome. Just great. It's funny. I do you think it's funny that he started out 0-2 by losing by count out to Yano, and that was Yano's only win. But at the same time, at like and I said like, I was okay with that loss because I wasn't expecting him to win. And, like, I kind of wish that he would have won the A block and maybe he won it all. I think that that would have been a really cool thing. He would have been the first New Zealander to win the G1, even over Jay White. Yeah. So, that would have been wild. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, so what was your, uh, I guess, biggest disappointment of the G1 then? Biggest disappointments? I don't know. I probably have to go with evil. Like, I don't know. I just don't like the House of Torture. I feel like, I don't know. Like, I understand that they're, they always have, like, cheating finishes there's always something like bull club or like whatever it's just the way that they were doing it they're just super annoying it's not i don't know it wasn't fun to me and i'm not a big fan of dick togo and i don't know it's just like i really liked it better when show and yo were together and like like this is holding back show so much by being in this group and the only one that's actually like that it's benefiting is Yujiro. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt like evil was a disappointment because even like his match against Naito like was kind of lame. It just, I don't know. He was definitely my worst like ranked. I didn't do it. I didn't go through, but I know for a fact he was my worst like ranked wrestler in the whole tournament. So that's disappointing to me because he's better than that. Yeah. I think that my biggest disappointment of the tournament, which then I'll I'll lead it into my most disappointing uh, super or competitor as well, since Evil was basically a competitor. My biggest disappointment was ZSJ losing to Naito in less than two minutes, and then Naito losing to Will Osprey. Because if you're gonna do that to ZSJ, then Naito probably should have fucking beat Will Osprey. And don't get me wrong, I didn't want to see Okada versus Naito in the G1 final. But to do ZSJ that dirty again, like that was my biggest disappointment by a lot. Like I couldn't believe after the tournament that they'd had, let ZSJ had had, how smart a competitor he'd been, how he'd like basically been a crowd favorite by getting his ass kicked and figuring out how to win. Him getting outsmarted by Naito made no sense. It was disappointing. What was the stat they said about the final? In the 32... Uh, G1 finals out of 64 competitors, 27 men have only like Competed. wrestled in the finals, and I think they said only nine have won. I think 12. I think it was 12. Oh, it was I can't one. remember. Yeah, but right under that's, half, that's, I thought it. That's that's really crazy to think about. Like, why do you do this? Like, I understand having wrestlers win a few times, and even like Okada, like. It wouldn't be so bad that Okada did it again if this isn't the way they always do it and have like wrestlers, the same wrestlers always always win it. But I don't know. It just, that's kind of ridiculous. And especially the fact that there's only one non Japanese winner, and that's Kenny Omega, is also kind of like, it's annoying because like ZSJ didn't have a shot because they're like, we'll give you the New Japan Cup. That, we're fine, but this is the G1. Like, you have to be really good or Japanese to win this thing. And apparently, Will Ospreay's not as good as Kenny Omega is what they were saying. Which, I mean, that's a that can be an argument on a different day, but I wouldn't argue that. Yeah, no, it's it's a wild thing with the number of people that have been in it that that few have competed in the finals. And I know it's you know it's a very illustrious tournament, so it's not like everyone should make the finals, but then the fact that only 12 different men have ever won the whole thing or less. We know it's 12 or less. We know that for sure. 12 is the top and seven is the bottom that we know it's in that range. And that's crazy. 
that only that few people have won the G1. That means you have that many multiple-time winners. Yeah. Um, my most disappointing wrestler of the entire tournament is the Great Okan. I I like the Great Okan. I had actually been quite impressed with him the last time I was watching New Japan. I thought he'd gotten a lot better. And then this G1, though, I can't point to like really any one of his matches and even go, well, that was at least good. Like I, they were just every one of his matches was kind of boring, told a weird story or just wasn't good. I mean, I don't know. I just really I was really disappointed with Great Okan in this tournament. Yeah, he'd probably be my second. And just evil is just I don't know. And like he he's better than that, you know, like when he was with LIJ, like, and even when he first like defected and was heavyweight champion, like he felt really important. And I know that that kind of was bombed and everything like that, and everyone like hated evil. Now he's stuck in this place where it's like he's better than where he's at, and the show's better. And like it's sad that the only person, Yujiro, is the only one that's benefiting from this. <laughs> and he's already got Peter. He doesn't need anything else. Right? Exactly. All right. Final thoughts on the G1. Who is your MVP of this year's G1 Climax 32? The MVP. I would have to probably give it to um, Tamatanga. I think, like, he came in as, like, a different person this year, and he feels like he's better than he's ever been. He's, like, he's in really great shape. And to beat Jay White to go to win the block to go to the semifinals, I think if you give it to anybody, I think he's the one who deserved it the most. I think that's a really great answer. And Tomatonga was probably going to be my answer. And I didn't expect you to do that. So I'm going to go with my backup answer. And it's not just for what he did in the ring. It's also for his excellent commentary. Exemplary commentary. It's got to be ELP. I absolutely loved ELP in this tournament. And I didn't watch like any of the Super Juniors besides the final and so I had, I've seen a lot of ELP and other things in tag matches and such, but damn, if ELP didn't just show out here in the G1 this year with great match after great match, even the joke match that he had with Juice Robinson was one of my favorite matches of the tournament and him getting disqualified in it was something different. It was new. It was awesome in a lot of ways. It was shocking. And his facial expressions afterwards uh, was great. I might change my favorite match. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite match might have been Jay White versus Chase Owens. I I thought that was going to be your favorite, honestly. I mean, that was my second highest rated match, I think. Um, Besides, that would be third if you come to the finals. But... I don't know. That match was just that match was fun, and then when they really started wrestling and like uh, Chase Owens was pissed and he wanted to win the match and it looked like he might win, like yeah, like I like also as a whole Jay White's run because it, even though he was undefeated until the final night, he 
it's not like he ran through anybody. Like he would do some like shenanigans that would like eventually get him like in trouble. And there were so many matches where like he definitely could have lost. But oh, yeah. he did cheat to win a couple of times. But still, like I really liked his run. It's not like he was yeah, it's not like he just squashed everybody. Like everybody had a chance against him. So he, he did a really good job. I love me some what do you give the G1 well. as a whole? Like, if you had to, like, give it a rating or a grade. As a whole? Uh, out of how many? You want me to do normal five stars or out of ten? Uh, let's do five. Let's keep it at five. Out of five stars, as a whole, I think the G1 gets a very solid 4.25. I think it was good throughout with some nice high points. I don't think, I think my real sticking points are, I don't think there was one great match out of this G1 that we're all going to look back on that like we usually have in the G1 every year where there's a match of the year contender, at least one to three of them throughout the G1. I think we had a lot of really good to great matches, but we didn't have any like over the top, absolutely stellar matches that we'll look back on. And then with Okada winning it all again, that kind of does leave a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth that maybe go away with a little time. But yeah, I think 4.25 is a nice score for this G132. Your explanation is like spot on for how I feel, but I also give it a lower rating than that. I give it a 3.75. Wow. Overall, I feel like some of the low points were pretty low. Um, and the high points didn't peak as high as some previous G1s, in my opinion. It was solid. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of fun matches. But, like, how many matches did you put over 4.5? Not many, right? I put one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, like, I feel like it was solid, but, like, it could have been better. I expected more. And I don't. That sounds like a bad thing because I really did enjoy it, but I did expect more. Um, but it's not going to stop me from being excited for next year's G1. Uh, maybe even getting into Tag League this year. We'll see. But uh, don't do no. <laughs> Tag League. Don't get me wrong. Tag League's fine, but Tag League is what it is. It's it's made to go after the G1 and give a lot of the big guys time off before Wrestle Kingdom. So that's how I always think about it. But you get a lot of CFDs, well, I mean, still gonna, light heavyweights and everything. I'm still going to follow, like, you know what I mean? Maybe maybe I'll finally start watching uh, New Japan World or hey. whatever. New Japan uh, Strong. That's what I New Japan Strong. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Who knows? Well, that was our New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 32 coverage for 2022. Yeah, that's right. We covered every single G1 match from night one to the finals. We did it, folks. Be impressed. Give us a round of applause. We hope you enjoyed it. And yeah, don't worry. We're not going to go away from New Japan Pro Wrestling. We will definitely keep covering some New Japan Pro Wrestling here and there up until Wrestle Kingdom. Because then you know I'm going to talk about some New Japan Pro Wrestling. And you can tell us what you think in the comments because we never tell you to do that. Maybe if we tell you to do that, people will actually start commenting. Maybe. Maybe that's been the problem the whole time. Well, let's move on to topic number two of hashtag TRT. 
Okay. Well, I think that we've talked about New Japan enough for a little while. So we've been neglecting a lot of things that have been going on around the rest of the wrestling world. And there's been a lot of interesting things that have been happening in the WWE, such as returns. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about things like Johnny Gargano returning because of the fact with Triple H being under control of creative and him being a Triple H guy, he is definitely going to be their biggest baby face. Like, it's... He's going to be what Daniel Bryan was supposed to be. But Triple H and Vince McMahon weren't 100% behind Daniel Bryan. I can see... Like him being the ultimate underdog, I feel like he's gonna be like a Shawn Michaels. Like, I don't know. I think that the best place for him is a Triple H ran show. And I feel like him returning to Raw is a good thing. And plus, also, you have Tommaso Ciampa on Raw. And let's say probably like two thirds of Raw's audience, like, probably didn't see. The first uh, feud between Champa and Gargano. So you can run it back and do so much more with it and know that it's going to be crazy. I'm so excited for Johnny Gargano to be back just in general. But I think that it makes the WWE product that much more exciting. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited. And you know how I feel about Johnny Gargano. Said it multiple times on this show that all around as a wrestler, he's the best wrestler in the world. And I still feel that way. And I am so excited. Good old Johnny wrestling coming back to WWE. How terrified would we have all been if Vince McMahon was still in charge? Um, well, for one, he wouldn't be Johnny Gargano. No. He'd what would they have called something him? else? I have no idea. They probably they probably would have repackaged him as like the Hurricane 2.0 because he likes comics or something like that. They would have totally ruined him. I don't think he would have resigned with oh, WWE no, no, if no. Triple H wasn't so, in charge. I don't know what he was gonna do. Like he had talks with AEW apparently, but like nothing like ever panned out, and he never considered impact seriously. So, I mean, he did wrestle for Dragon Gate, so he does have connections in Japan, so maybe he would have went to, back to Japan. That would have been kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I think the best place for him in the world is a Triple H run show, for real. Like, is what he did on NXT, he was Mr. NXT. He was Johnny Takeover, Johnny Wrestling. Like, how many five-star matches did he put on at Takeover's? Like he, like all in all, he was the best wrestler in the history of NXT. Well, what and he was, he was on how many takeovers straight? Wasn't it like seventeen? Yeah, it was like he had the record. He has the most matches on takeovers. I don't know. He like I'm excited for a main roster run, and like he's gonna be a great babyface. And I'm also excited his first feud. Like I like how NXT is finally canon. And his first feud is against Austin Theory, and he came out and tried to give him a high five. And, like, I, yes, I, 
I am so in for Triple H right now. Like, I didn't watch Raw, but, like, I strongly considered watching Raw. And, like, I'm feeling the same way about SmackDown. Like, I might want to watch SmackDown this week because, like, even though I know it's still WWE, like, they still do WWE things, like, it's getting better. The stories are getting better. And, like, from afar, I'm starting to get, like, way more invested in things. And with them bringing back Johnny Gargano, I'm just, yeah, I'm excited. And, like, I texted you, too. Like, like one of the biggest money matches that most fans don't realize that they could have in this company is Johnny Gargano versus Cody Rhodes. Like, think about, like, on pay-per-view, that would easily be a five-star match. Yeah, like turn Cody Rhodes into a big asshole again. Like, because Cody yeah. Rhodes, no matter what, is a better asshole than he is a good guy. As, as much as he wants to be a good guy, Cody Rhodes is the better asshole. Like, I'm excited for Cody Rhodes to get healthy and come back. It's just, oh, my God. Like, it's so weird how, like, wrestling world just did a full 180 like now AEW has all these issues with talent being upset backstage and CM Punk being CM Punk um it's crazy how you hear things about WWE backstage and how people are happy and people are wanting to go back to WWE and like hearing People that are contracted to AEW anonymously say that if they would have known Triple H was going to be in charge of Raw and SmackDown, they would have resigned and not gone to AEW, which obviously that was Adam Cole. I don't obviously. care. What yeah, was that, that was, Adam that was 100% Adam that? Cole. Yeah. Who else would have said that? Like, I, I, it could be it could be the rest of the Undisputed Era as well, like Fish and it was O'Reilly. Adam Cole. Oh, it was Cole by himself for sure going, oh, yeah, I would have stayed there. And, like, I wish he would have. And I don't know how long he signed with AEW, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back. Like, I don't know. Triple H has this connection with these guys, which is awesome because they're the best wrestlers in the world. And, like, I'm excited. And there's a lot of people that – I saw a comment on Twitter yesterday that – said triple h is the biggest mark of all the bookers out there I'm like are you fucking kidding me i go triple h was a fucking wrestler he gets the business he gets the psychology he gets what it's like backstage he's the biggest fucking mark tony khan is just a guy who like loved wrestling and was rich and decided to start a fucking company but he's not the biggest mark it's it's crazy it's like i'm a mark the person that commented that is a mark and anybody that like reads that on Twitter is a mark. If you're a wrestling fan, you're a mark. So the negative connotation of being a mark is so stupid to me. Wrestling fans are just so stupid. They are. But I think you just made an interesting point right there. And I think it's something that it's really been brought up in the NBA. And it's the fact that in today's NBA, and this applies to a lot of today's pro wrestlers, the guys who are the best, they don't want to be coached anymore by some old rich dude who's never done it like everybody from our generation is very much like what did you do why should you tell me how i should do my job if you can't do my job that's a very i guess millennial generation thing that we all have and i think it's the same thing that kind of has taken place in wrestling Vince McMahon got old and stale. No one wanted to listen to him. 
Tony Khan's young and everyone likes him. And he was the better option, clearly, of the old Vince McMahon or the new hip Tony Khan. But now, Triple H being in charge, Triple H is a former player, a former wrestler. He gets it. He's been, he's laced those boots up. It's a totally different dynamic. So, of course, all of these pro wrestlers want to go work for the pro wrestler who's in charge of the biggest pro wrestling company in the world. They're a billion-dollar franchise. And he has a pretty big track record with NXT for all the years that it was great. And, like, it's crazy that people don't either know. Like, they think because it was on WWE Network, so it wasn't worth watching because it wasn't. Like, for one, they did it dirty by not making it canon. Canon. And number two is, like, it gets this negative reaction to fans because, like, it's not Raw or SmackDown, but, like, for years. And even when AEW came into existence and shortly before, like, Vince McMahon took over, it was the best wrestling on TV. And, like, every time there was a takeover, it was straight to the point. Five matches, two and a half hours. You're in, you're out. Every time you came out of it thinking, like, that was a better takeover than the last takeover. And, like, so he has a track record, and that's what makes me excited. And there's all these negative people out there that are like, he's a mark and all this stuff. And, like, he just likes all these independent wrestlers. It's like, no, he likes good wrestling. And he knows how to book good wrestling, but he needs the players to like book the wrestling that's actually good that works in 2022 like the hulk hogan versus andre the giant isn't the money match anymore you know and that's why vince mcmahon was still he tried to book that with almas and bobby lashley it's the same thing like triple h like has his finger on the pulse and I think, like, five years from now, WWE is going to look so much different, and it's going to be so much better, and it's going to be, like, AEW might be not existent in five years. We don't know. But WWE will still be there, and I bet you it's going to be a pretty solid product. Yeah, I think the... I don't think Triple H wants to kill AEW in any respect of the word. I think... Vince, I think the other thing that Triple H brings to the table that a lot of these wrestlers see and really like, and I'm sure, you know, it's still a business, so they still want control of the, you know, major product. But in general, Triple H doesn't seem like a WWE fan. He's a pro wrestling fan. He wants to see the whole thing flourish on the whole, the independence, the the world wrestling scene, not just raw smackdown like succeeding and that's what Vince McMahon always felt like and in some ways that's how Tony Khan kind of feels like uh, especially with his you know treatment of the ring of honor stars that he's brought in they've all been beaten by his AEW toys like no ring of honor guy that has come over besides I guess Dalton Castle who's their six-man champion and but everyone loves Dalton Castle so I'm not even going to count him has lost their belts and has yeah. kind of been treated like crap a little bit. Well, I mean, he also did beat AEW, or I mean, AEW, Ring of Honor, like, wrestlers. So, like, it's not like he went in there. Because his match that he had on uh, Dark, he lost. Uh, or not Dark, it was Rampage. He lost oh, yeah. that match. Um, but, 
yeah. Um, I had a thought, and I can't remember because uh, you brought up that point about Dalton Castle. But uh, what was my thoughts? Uh, it was probably a great thought, and probably was going to change everybody's lives and for the better. But I just I can't remember. It just slipped out of my brain. But Triple H, I think he's besides the fact of bringing like in his old. NXT talent that has been released. I think he's doing a good job of telling other stories. Like, look at Kevin Owens. Like, look at how he's back to being the best version of Kevin Owens. He's back to being the prize fighter Kevin Owens. The NXT Kevin Owens. On Raw, he came out in his uh, duct tape shirt. Like, and like, he's gonna do the package power driver. Triple H is gonna let him do it. Can't wait. Um, I can't wait either. I, I remember what I was going to say for Triple H. Also, the reason why I think that he's going to be successful is because he was around Vince McMahon for so long. And he's like Vince McMahon was a wrestling genius. And he did things like wrestling wouldn't be where it's at today without Vince McMahon. That's a oh, God, fact. no. And so be at he carnival saw fairs. the things he's seen the successes that Vince McMahon's had, and he's also witnessed all the mistakes he's met, made. So like, and he has his own personal opinions on like how it should be. So he has all the best of Vince McMahon, but also all the like foresight to like know what's going on in wrestling, what people want to see more. You know, and I think that's what's going to make him like a a really good like booker and i hope that i hope i'm right like i mean i would bet that i am gonna be right because like i've seen it in nxt but i mean yeah triple h is amazing i got a sidebar for you i sidebar ding i saw another thing on twitter maybe it's facebook uh somebody was talking about kurt angle and Basically, they brought up all this stat how he's the only person in the history of wrestling to have ever held the WWE, WCW, uh, IWGP heavyweight, uh, NWA, and Impact world titles. Which, yeah, it's, uh, that's a good feat and that's a good fact and everything like that. And then they ended their post by saying, and this is why they think that he was the greatest talent in his generation of, or not talent. Uh, he was the greatest. I don't remember the way, but it wasn't like talent. Like you could give it talent, but like it wasn't spent like it wasn't meant like that. Cause like what they said was not true because like stone cold and the rock were bigger draws and sold more merch. Like they were bigger, no, the biggest star of his generation. And it's like, no, like no. he was up there, but he, he like, was definitely the best his, wrestler his, of his generation. I would say, even through his whole career, he could never reach the stardom of the Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, no, yeah, and it's weird that he spent more time in Impact than he actually did in WWE. Like no one ever really talks about that fact that he spent a lot more time in Impact, and a lot of his yeah, like best like, stuff was in Impact. Hall of Fame career just an impact alone like take away all his wwe stuff like he'd have like a hall of fame career like uh, I mean, he was a great wrestler and like he best wrestler of his generation i could give him that but not the biggest star yeah i love me some kurt angle i would 
I would fight to the death to put him in a top 10 of wrestlers of all time, but he's not the biggest star of that generation by a long shot. Like, no, you don't even see top people. Five. Are, huh? Top five. Top five. Yeah, but still, you don't see Kurt Angle merch still filtering about as much as you still see Brock and Stone Cold merch all the time. I still see people rocking 316 shirts, and it's 2022, folks. How many times do you, like, just in a wrestling show and you see people in the crowd wearing, like, a Just Bring It shirt? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, those things are still on sale on WWEshop.com, and they're never going anywhere. Yeah. And just like every time that I bring up that I do a podcast about pro wrestling to at people at the bar, the generally the first things they say are, oh, that uh, WWF uh, Stone Cold stuff. And I go, yep, that's what I'm talking about. It's either Stone Cold or The Rock or Hulk Hogan are the three that always get brought up. And you can always tell it's only the old folks that bring up Hulk Hogan. Um, back to like the topic, I just thought of something. Did you see anything from NXT last night? I didn't watch it, but I saw some like a clip. Uh, I know uh, that they're Dexter Loomis. Yes, I I did see (laughs) Index back. I I love the fact that uh, I love the fact that NXT is canon now, and like that they're still together. They're they're married. Yeah, they had a wedding. I saw it. Yeah. It was on the first episode of NXT 2.0 when I was trying to be hopeful for NXT 2.0. And the wedding was good. I enjoyed the wedding. But, yeah. That was fun. But, yes, that was that was the end of the fun for NXT 2.0. But, yes, I did see that. And then I'm also – I'm very excited for this whole Worlds Collide thing. I know that that means the end of NXT, NXT UK. But NXT Europe is now going to be a thing. And I'm, I think, hopeful for that. We'll see if I, I can carve time out to watch that. it. The thing that's weird about that is they released like about three quarters of their NXT UK superstars. So if they're planning on making NXT Europe a thing, you think they would have been like, here, like, you're still under contract with us, but like, you're allowed to take some independent bookings while we're trying to figure this out. Kind of like it was at the beginning of NXT UK when they were like, they could finish up their bookings and stuff like that. It's also crazy how WWE destroyed the whole British independent wrestling scene. Oh, yeah. And it was the biggest, like, thriving independent scene. And they came in there like, nope. Yeah. That was Triple H. That that (laughs) was Triple H. That one was definitely Triple H killing off Progress, Rev Pro, ICW, uh, Date. They definitely, what culture pro wrestling, which was then Defiant. I mean, they definitely took a flamethrower to the entire UK <laughs> British wrestling scene by the creation of NXT UK. And I mean, if you and listen everyone to everyone stopped watching because like nobody watched NXT UK. I mean, for the people that did, I heard that it was actually really fucking good. Yeah. But like, like all the people that are watching Progress and like all the other ones, they didn't watch NXT UK. And that's why they are done. I didn't watch sad. I didn't watch NXT UK and I spent $30 a month uh, between subscription services to multiple different UK wrestling promotions for a very long time. Yeah. And like, I know $30 doesn't sound like a lot, but this is when I was real fucking broke and I didn't have the money to be spending on those promotions, but I was like, no fucking way. Am I missing Rev Pro or progress or fucking ICW? I'm paying for all of them. I don't care. That it's crazy though. 
and that was a Triple H decision. And so, like, that's another thing he has, uh, Vince McMahon in him. Vince McMahon killed the territories. <laughs> Vince, or Triple H wants to take over the world. He doesn't just want to, like, take over America. Like, his goal, like, that global, like, relocation or whatever, like, whatever that thing was called, that he wanted to have, like, uh, NXT Japan, which almost happened. Yep. NXT South America. Like, he literally NXT wanted Mexico. to take over the world. Yeah. If that happens, like, maybe he is actually a heel, like, in real life. Think about it. Yeah. Like, he is a villain. He's a super villain. We're going back to the territories, Diesel. I called it all those years ago when we started this podcast. It is going to be Triple H, but they're just setting up the pins for Triple H just to knock them down. That's what they're doing. Yeah, 100%. It's a territory system, baby, but in the 2022s, with the advent of the internet, it's going to be wild. Wrestling's only going to get crazier, folks. I think we're in the end times, honestly, for wrestling. I don't, it feels weird. Like Vince McMahon is retired, forced to retire yeah um it just it doesn't feel normal does it no but you know what the fun thing is is even if pro wrestling dies you know it's still going to be around impact (laughs) they're cockroaches man dude that that cockroach will still be on some channel at two in the morning no matter what for the rest of time until the lights go out on the planet Earth, I bet you Impact will be on TV in some form or fashion. It is still mind-boggling that, that company has been on television longer than WCW. By a lot. <laughs> I know. They just had their 20th year anniversary. Like, oh my God. Like, it's nuts. That is nuts. How have they not died? I thought, like, in 2014 that, yeah, their ship was sunk, and I don't know what happened. I don't know how they survived. I, it's amazing. The impact, John Callis. Impact is the cockroach of pro wrestling. It has been squashed under hundreds, if not thousands of boots, but yet it crawls on. <laughs> it just keeps on chugging. I think it's crazy, though, like, when we listen to Killing the Town and when Don Callis said, like, I know how to save Impact. And, like, I have all these ideas, but I'm not going to say it on here. I'm not going to give anybody my ideas for free. If you want them, you got to pay for them. And I think it's awesome that they actually paid for them. And he saved Impact. He did. Like, he made it, like, they're much better off now than they were before he got there. And I know that he's not there anymore, but like that, like short three, four year stint that he was all the groundwork he laid. Yeah, exactly. And Scott Demore was there with him. So like, he's still being able to like manage everything. And like, we should start watching impact more. I don't know why we don't, because like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I have an excuse. I don't either. And as once again, it's Impact. I used to love Impact because Impact was my, like, because I was a WCW kid growing up. So once WCW was dead, I was trying to find something else that could compete with WWE. And I mean, it was never actually going to be Impact. But for a while, I thought it might be. Yeah, I, I've had so many, like, start stops on Impact. Like, I'll watch it and I'll go, like, a good, like, six months with, like, keeping up. And then... I stop and then I'll go back to it and then I'll stop. And every time I do, I'm always enjoying it. 
I don't know why I stopped. You know, so I should get back into Impact because, like, what they're doing right now is different than what anybody else is doing out there. And like we said it before, they're basically the ECW in this like current wrestling landscape. Where, like, obviously AEW is WCW and WWE is WWF, obviously. So, obviously, it's crazy. Uh, final quick thoughts on just the pro wrestling landscape because you just brought it up. And I think Conan, uh, I heard this on Cultaholic, brought up the fact that the behind the scenes atmosphere of AEW does feel a lot like WCW did in its, you know, dying days. And Conan was there. Is that, that terrifying? Was, uh, yeah, that was a conversation. Like, yeah, he told this story on his podcast, which... Uh, Keeping it 100. He's said that he promoted us on there multiple times. Like, literally, he's, like, popped up in my DMs at least six times with the same exact, like, saying, how are you doing and all this stuff. And, like, yeah, he's like, I have a podcast. Keep it 100. Like, if you promote us, we'll promote you. And, like, I'm giving him a free plug right now because Chad brought it up. But he's never promoted. I've listened to episodes after that to see. And then he's just trying to get people to listen. Like, what a fucking like, liar. It's like, like, I can't believe how many times he's popped up in my DMs, like, saying this. And, like, I keep on telling him, like, yeah, you better plug us this time. And yeah, he said he would. One time he actually messaged me back. And it was around... Uh, when we went to all in and Starcast, and he said he fucking would, I can probably like screenshot the message and send it to you. But uh, yeah, I don't take what Conan says like too seriously because for one, he was a guest back there. He's not back there every fucking week. Number two, he's like uh, Booker T and Bully Ray. Um, some of these guys that were in like the last generation of wrestlers that are older that have different points of view of things and that might not be what wrestling isn't the way that they're used to because the way they were brought up, wrestling was different. Although like a Kevin Nash, who I believe is an idiot for saying they need to slow down. And I really like that um, to bring up another conversation between like Kevin Ash and Shawn Michaels, how he told Shawn Michaels that wrestlers need to slow down. I really like that Shawn Michaels gets that it's just not the way it is these days. And like, I'm glad that he's not stuck in the past either. And is it weird that DX runs WWE? Yeah. Oh, I've never thought about this. Like, nope. The they're in charge of everything creative. They're the ones making our content each and every week. And they're the ones who put their, you know, penises in hot dog buns for a while as a joke. Like, come on, what's going on? Maybe we are in the end times, Diesel. Maybe you're fucking right. Sorry, I rambled on. I didn't answer your question. It is kind of scary, though, because I think there's like some truth to what he says. Like, you can see it from afar. Um, but at the same time, he's not there all the time. And he's getting, like, information from his sources and stuff like that. And we know that not every source is reliable. And I don't know. But, I mean, with like I said earlier, too, with CM Punk now being CM Punk, like, I'm surprised we made it a year before, like, any shit like this happened. I, I am, too. I, like, this... 
I don't know. I mean, it seems kind of unprofessional, but it also is like right down CM Punk's alley. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm a CM Punk like, fan. Why? And I knew this was going to happen. Hangman. Like, I don't know. And you know, like Tony Khan was all right with it because he's a big CM Punk mark. Like that was the guy he wanted when they started the company. Like, so he would pick CM Punk over Hangman, I believe. And that's oh, 100%. That's actually, that's a sad thing. That's, I think, the, where the whole WCW comparison, I feel like, comes in the most is, once again, just like in WCW, all of these guys who I put in the blood, sweat, and tears in the beginning, you know, the first year or so of AEW keep getting pushed further and further to the side as Tony Khan keeps signing more and more toys from the toy box and don't get me wrong yeah these people that he's signing probably are bigger fish and probably in a lot of ways do deserve a bigger spotlight but then the question comes why are you signing them you should you don't need to you already have these guys and your whole thing was we're gonna make the stars of the future but like wcw did it feels a lot like you're just grabbing the scraps of all these things that you wanted and uh you're kind of just repeating the sins of the past it's also just like baseball. It's a business and they are reliant on viewers. Like their ratings are more important than WWE's because WWE is more available in more places. So like uh Turner and Discovery expect like a certain amount of viewership and so they need to keep eyes on their products. So like it's a business it makes sense why they would sign these bigger stars. And yes, it sucks that people lost their spots. And, but how many people have lost their spots in WWE and it put a chip on their shoulder and they went on the independence and they came back and won the fucking championship. Like Drew McIntyre, Cody Rhodes, like, like you can retell your story. Sometimes you need a reset, just like New Japan. Like, look at Matt Cardona right now. Like, look how much, like, his stock has risen since he's left the WWE. And would I be surprised to see him back in the WWE? No. I don't think he's going to go back anytime soon. But I think there's something there with him and Triple H. You know, he was in NXT for a while. And, like, I don't know. But I don't think he'd be able to be Matt Cardona if he was in WWE, but like, I'm just saying like people leave with this chip on their shoulder and they get better and they come back and they prove everybody wrong. You know, you gotta have that kind of mentality. You can't, it's a business and it sucks. It really does. But that's why you gotta be the best. And Ric Flair said it, said it the best to be the man. You gotta beat the man. You um, know? You know, and as Macho Man always says, the cream rises to the top. So if you ain't at the top, then you better get to the top because or else you ain't getting this time to shine anymore because that, that is the way it is. But you know, just thoughts on that. Uh, any other final thoughts on like, where do we start? Uh, Johnny Gargano coming to Raw? Yeah, that's where this whole topic started. Cool. <laughs> um, thoughts overall, it's just... I'm invested in all of it right now. It's just, I, it's what's best for wrestling. And it's something that I feel like we kind of needed. Like we needed like 
an injection into like WWE like this to like change it up. We needed to change up because it makes it makes AEW even better. I think they're going too hard too fast. I think that they're they're Icarus. Like they're they did not learn from WCW. And I was very hopeful at the beginning that they did. But like they are like they're looking a lot like WCW and even faster. And it's it is scary, but I think the ship will be righted. I hope. I, I hope that this makes them better, like maybe a little bit of competition and now maybe a little bit of back and forth between like talent, you know, like instead of everybody just going to AEW, now we'll get some people from AEW going to WWE and it'll be, I don't know, more of an even playing field. And so it's it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I still say we're in the platinum age of pro wrestling right now. 2022 is the year that keeps on giving. And once again, it's still only getting to the end of August. We still have many more miles to go before we sleep and we reach 2023. I can't wait to see what the rest of this year brings. I love that we have competition. As I always say, a rising tide raises all ships. And WWE getting their shit together helps everyone even if AEW is scared right now and maybe throwing too much shit at the wall it doesn't matter wwe being good helps everyone because that has the most eyes on it and has the chance for the most people to watch that and go well hey maybe i want to check out some other pro wrestling as well because we need to stop with this clandestine war against each other as pro wrestling fans it doesn't fucking matter it's all pro wrestling Let's just enjoy it while we can. All right? We have multiple major companies right now running pro wrestling and making money. Let's all just enjoy it. It's all good, folks. Yeah, I mean, it's more spotlight for more of your favorite wrestlers. That's why they don't understand why people, like, choose a side. Like, everybody, like, there's more opportunities. That's a good thing. So let's, like, exactly, let's enjoy it. And let's be happy for these people that are getting these opportunities. And, like, hopefully that we strike gold and, like, it's like this for a while. We can only hope, folks. We can only hope. But that's been a lot of fun wrestling conversation. So let's head off into the sunset and wrap this show up. So monkeys in the back, hit that sound effect. All right, Diesel, as always and forever, that sound effect means it is time for final thoughts. So what have you for us this week? Um, the only thing really this week is we're going to the Brewer game on Sunday. Uh, it's the, the bowling trip, so it's all you can eat, all you can drink, and I don't know, it's usually a good time. They're playing the Cubs, so I don't know, like... I'm not, like, too excited for the game. I'm excited for the trip as a whole. But I'm sure, like, I'll do a lot of wandering. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I'm playing it by ear. Yes, I'm also excited for the Brewer trip that I am also going on because Diesel and them had an extra ticket. So I thought, hey, why not tag along since I was invited? So I'm going to, as always, enjoy 
getting wrecked for free on the bus. But they'll also bring some other beers just because they only have they only have the high life, which is nice. But I need a couple IPAs to get the day started right, if you will. So I'll have that. We'll have a lot of fun on the bus. And then, yeah, the game itself, they're playing the Cubs, so they'll probably lose because they always lose when we go to the games, it seems like. Yeah, they play down their competition. And the lame thing this year is it's not a bobblehead day. I was So, I, like, they, there's no giveaway this year. And usually they pick a giveaway. So, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there was any, like, giveaways within the next, like, couple weekends. So, I guess they just kind of... They didn't have a they choice. They got screwed. They like because I like they probably do try to pick the bobblehead days just so like it's fun. But whatever. I got I got plenty of bobbleheads. I just got six more from Tom. <laughs> I bought three more uh, from an antique store last weekend. I haven't even talked about this on the podcast. So I've been collecting these bobbleheads. I'm up to I counted last night. I'm up to thirty four now. Wow that that yeah. explosion has or that collection has exploded for sure. Yeah, like in the last month, I've probably gotten at least 20. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. But yeah, also we have our first fantasy football draft on Sunday after the Brewer game. So we have a nice few drinks in me before we do that. Um, I think you're uh, misinformed on that. Everyone is assuming it's the fourth. Our draft for my league, Diesel. Oh, I got you. I was misinformed on what draft you were talking about. That is correct. Yes. Uh, we also have our group one, which we will talk about next week. That's the one that's like on my brain right now because we just, like everyone keeps on bringing it up in the like chat. Yeah. Yes. No, that one is the fourth. The uh, unusual suspects draft is this Sunday where gotcha. it is the draft that I run. And I am the champion of... I'm also the champion of bragging rights as well. So I guess it doesn't matter because I'm just a champ. But yeah. I don't really have anything else going on this weekend. Yeah, I, I, I won't... Uh, I probably won't draft very good, but... doesn't matter some, how you draft, Diesel. It matters some, how you finish. Uh, I have some sleepers that I'm looking to grab. So hopefully I can grab at least a couple of them. But we'll see what happens. I'm glad it's you got all, a strategy. It's got to fall to you. That's all. It's all. It's out of your. It's out of your control. You know. That's what sucks the most about the draft. Like it's out of your control. Oh, 100 uh, percent. But with that, yeah, don't got really anything else going on. This is the kind of last weekend. Once again, I had two weekends in August without things going on, and the September hits, and I have a shit ton of stuff going on again. So I'm going to enjoy this one peaceful weekend that isn't actually that peaceful because we're going to the Brewer game and I got a draft. But yeah, Diesel, social media stuff so we can get on out of here. You can follow me on Twitter at Diesel underscore VFTR. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad's underscore mine or at VFTR2PO. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram by searching View from the Top Rope Official. We're on YouTube at View from the Top Rope. A view from Top Rope at gmail.com is our email address. Follow Visionaries Global Media on Twitter, which is at Viz Global Media, and send in your podcast to Visionaries Global Media at gmail.com to be reviewed, added to the network, and you will be heard on podcasting platforms such as Podknife, Potable, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and of course, the one that's the most important one because it's the one that distributes 
everything SoundCloud. You know, Diesel, there was a couple stumbles in there where I thought you were going to fall apart, but you picked yourself up and you got through that with a minimal stumbles. No, I went to the Jonathan Coachman School of uh, Talking, so I now realize if I don't remember something, I just got to ramble on until it comes to me because I totally forgot about SoundCloud. Yeah, just keep talking until it comes back to you. That's what I do. As long as you have breath in your lungs, keep talking. But yes, thank you all so very much. Uh, Clearly, so many other places you can find this podcast. Just either type in VFTR 2.0 or Visionaries Global Media into a search engine. You'll find us on a podcasting platform you love. Make sure you're like, commenting, sharing, subscribing, upping, whatever you have to do on the podcasting platform to make sure more people hear our dulcet tones and also all the other great podcasts we have here on the VGM. We thank you so much for listening to this thing. I have been Chad. He has been Diesel. Please remember, be kind to each other out there. We are all just humans trying to survive on this blue orb that is spinning through the cosmos that we call Earth. So don't be a dick. There's just no real reason to do it. Be nice. And also, always remember, truly remember this, to climb up high and enjoy VFTR 2.0. Oh, 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 oh,